And so, as I said, this year we're going to really focus on prayer. But, as if, as if preparing for the glorious resurrection of Jesus were not enough motivation to spend the next six weeks talking about prayer, um, we're once again in this country forced to confront an act of pure evil. And we must deal with the loss of 17 students and teachers. in the mass shooting of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. These things always um, strike very close to home with me as I have one daughter who is a teacher and one daughter who until recently was a teacher. But the thing is, prayer is what binds us together and allows us to enter the pain of another. So I'm asking that all of you, our church family and anyone else who is here, to pray especially for this community down in Parkland as they begin what will be a very long journey of grief. And so we ask now, God, would you comfort all of the victims' families? Would you give them hope? Would you bring them peace uh, with each new hour that passes? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Someone's going to have to help me out here because this presentation is completely not starting at the beginning. So while they're working on that, let's just say that prayer is really a giant subject if you start to look at it. Um, I, I typed the word prayer into Amazon.com under books, and it'll bring up 100,000 books on prayer. Now, I also typed the word prayer into Google, and uh, it brings up somewhere in the neighborhood of 146 million web pages about prayer, including 4 million um, videos on prayer, 4 million books on prayer, and 6 million news articles on prayer. All right, let's see if we're any closer. Yes, I think we are. Thank you. And now, I did not personally read all 146 million web pages, or unfortunately, even the 100,000 books. <laughs> it's a little short on time. But I do believe that if you were to read them, there would be some common themes that would probably emerge or jump out at you. And the first one is, we are wired to pray. Your creator designed you in a way that prayer just seems natural. Because when you think about it, everybody in the world prays. Buddhists pray. Hindus pray. Muslims pray. Jews pray. Christians pray. Secular people pray. There are even some atheists who won't admit it, but they pray too. Everybody prays. It's just part of uh, the culture. It's really part of every culture. Now, who they pray to, what they pray to will differ. But what I'm saying is that there's this internal desire in every human being to pray. In fact, it's one of the things that makes you human. It what makes, makes you different from animals. 
animals don't pray because they were not made in the image of God. We are. And that means we have that ability. And so, in essence, we're sort of genetically encoded to want to talk to our Creator. Now, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God has planted eternity in the human heart. And so that just means you have this eternal soul. You're going to last a lot longer than just the here and now. And it also means that you have this natural desire or drive in you that just thinks there's got to be more to life than what I'm seeing here. There's got to be an eternity. There's got to be a God. God wired us to look for him. And God wired us to talk with him. It's a universal trait. Okay, So everybody prays at some point in their life. So we're, we're wired to pray. Now the second thing that you would probably find out is we're not very good at prayer and we know it. Now if I were to ask one of you to come up here with me and lead us in prayer, you would probably say, well, I don't really know what to pray or I don't know how to pray or I don't know what to say. I just feel sort of inadequate. Well, you know what? God doesn't want you to feel inadequate when it comes to prayer. He doesn't want you to feel like your prayers are second class or that, that your prayers are not as good as somebody else's prayers. Everybody feels inadequate. I have not yet met one person who felt like they were outstanding in prayer. Okay, I've never had anybody say, well, I'm a PhD in prayer. World-class prayer, that's me. I'm actually a professional. I'm a prayer pro. No. No. Everybody, no matter how long they've known the Lord, everybody knows they could be better. This is pretty common. Now, just as an example, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived next to Jesus would have been the Apostle Paul. And here's what he said in his letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 8, verse 26. He says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is the guy that wrote half the New Testament, and he's saying that we don't know what we should pray for, and we don't even really know how to pray. So we're all in this school of prayer. We all need to learn. And if Paul said that, it's okay for you to admit it too. I need to get better at this. I need to know how to talk to God. I need to learn the language of prayer. And that's why this series is called a beginner's guide, or this particular message today, is the first of this series, is called a beginner's guide to prayer. God doesn't want you to feel lousy about your prayer life. He doesn't want you to feel guilty about your prayer life. And he doesn't want talking to him to seem so difficult. And it's really not as difficult as you might think it is. And we'll explore that more shortly. Third theme that you would probably pull out. And that's not it. That's it. Our frustrations with prayer are caused by our misconceptions about prayer. See, it's unfortunate that this whole subject of prayer is surrounded by a lot of myths, misunderstandings, and misconceptions. 
And so in this series, we're going to explode some of these myths that are just flat out wrong. Uh, and I'm just going to give you four of them today, okay? So we're going to cover some more as we go through this in the weeks to come, but four really common ones we're going to talk about today. First one is that prayer is not magic. Prayer is not like that little wand that Harry Potter had that he just waves and all of a sudden the circumstances change. Prayer is also not a bunch of secret words that you say. That if you just know the exact right words and the exact right order in which to say them, then you get your own way all the time. It's not so that you could look at your husband and say, abracadabra, you're a great husband now. That doesn't work. Or, hocus pocus, I get the promotion. That doesn't work either. By the way, do you know where the term hocus pocus came from? It's pretty interesting, actually. It comes from a perversion of the Latin in the Catholic Mass. That the moment at which the priest holds up the host, or the, which is the body of Jesus, he says, hoc est corpus meum, which is Latin for, this is my body. And so, if you kind of don't hear that quite right, hoc est corpus meum becomes hocus pocus. And so, probably at some point, some funny guy in the back row is not really hearing this correctly. He says, what's he saying? Hocus pocus. He's turning this bread into Jesus. So I'm going to go out and say, dog, hocus pocus, you're a cat. I don't know. Just a guess. The point is, prayer is not a magic wand or some genie in a bottle or magic words that you say. All right. Prayer is not a fire extinguisher. Prayer is not like having a box on the wall and there's a sign that says, break glass only in case of emergency. Yet a lot of people treat prayer like that. They don't pray on good days. They, the only time they pray is when they're in pain or when there's an emergency. Well, there's a hurricane coming. Let's pray. Um, well, I found out I got cancer. We better pray. My husband's about to walk out on me. We should probably pray. In fact, you hear terminology like this all the time. Well, all we can do now is pray. And then you hear people will go, oh, has it come to that? Is it that bad? <laughs> All we can do now is pray? Seriously, like prayer is the last resort? When you've, just, you've exhausted every other means available to you? No, no, and no. Prayer is not meant to be the last resort in your life. It's meant to be the first thing you do. Before you buy a new car, you should probably pray about it. Before you go looking for a job, pray. Before you eat food, that food, pray. Before you accept that date, pray. It should be the first choice, not the last resort. Prayer is not a fire extinguisher. Prayer is also, <clears throat> is also not a tug of war. See, there are some people that think that God really doesn't want to answer your prayers. He really doesn't even want to listen. And you kind of have to wear God down until he finally gives in. 
if you keep badgering him and pestering him enough and praying, God, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, 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 God, please. Finally, he goes, oh, okay. All right already. You can have it. And so it really is like having this tug of war with God. But that's not at all what Scripture teaches. You see, Jesus told a story that teaches this exact opposite idea about what prayer is. And he tells a story about this judge and this widow who was in need of justice. And she keeps coming and badgering the judge for justice, and he won't give it to her. And he refuses over and over again until he finally says, Okay, if you'll just stop yapping, then I'm going to give it to you. And finally he gives in. And the point that Jesus makes is that God is not like that. And you are not engaging in some tug of war with God when you pray. And finally, prayer is not a ritual to relieve guilt. See, this was one of the ones that I grew up with. You were taught that if you sin, and especially if it's a really big sin, then you go to the confessional and the priest gives you something called penance. And what was penance? Typically, it was a series of prayers. So, in that case, prayer ends up being punishment for your sin. Well, prayer is not punishment. Prayer is supposed to be a joy. Not some responsibility that you've got to pay back because you did something wrong. That puts prayer completely in the wrong light. So those are some of the misunderstandings that people can have regarding prayer. But I want to I shift a little bit now, and we've been sort of talking about what's not true about prayer, and now I want to sort of spend some time on some of the fundamental truths of prayer. And if for anyone who's ever played a sport, especially one that's been coached, um, you have inevitably heard about the importance of learning the fundamentals, which are the basics of that sport, okay? And I love this example. Probably the greatest coach and teacher of the game of basketball was a gentleman named John Wooden. Now, John Wooden was an All-American guard at Purdue. He went on to coach at UCLA, and he won 10 national championships, all right? So this man knew what he was doing. And every year, on the first day of practice, Coach Wooden would sit down in front of all his players, most of whom were among the very, very best in the nation, All-Americans in high school. And so he would sit down in front of these 12 or 15 All-Americans, and you know what he would teach them? He would teach them how to put on their socks and shoes. It doesn't get a whole lot more basic than that. But the point is, the point he was trying to make is that he didn't want the players to get blisters because if you put your socks and shoes on incorrectly, it ends up creating a blister which then causes the player to be unable to play. And so you start at that point and you eliminate that, that issue from the very beginning. So that's kind of what we want to do today. We want to go and we want to talk about prayer basics. And I think you could sort of call these basics the four pillars of prayer. 
Everything else that you believe about prayer will rest on these four pillars. And so if you don't get these, then you're going to continue to see prayer as a duty and not as a delight. No pun intended. Oh, that's really small. I'm sorry. I didn't think it'd be that small. All right. Pillar number one, God loves for me to talk to him. God loves for you to talk to him about anything. It doesn't have to be something spiritual. It doesn't have to be something religious. It just has to be whatever you're interested in. If you're interested in something, God is interested in it too. And you say, well, how is that possible? That I know whatever you're interested in, God's also interested in. Well, I would say for three particular reasons. The first of which is God loves you. You wouldn't exist if God hadn't created you to love you. It's the reason you're alive. And when you really love somebody, you're interested in what they're interested in. The second reason, well, where do you think you got those interests in the first place? You got them from God. And reason number three, God, parents enjoy talking with their children. And God is your father. And so parents are interested in what their kids are interested in. And that's, what's, that's what happens when you talk to God. Now here's something to think about. If you're bored when you pray, it's because you're talking to God about stuff you think you ought to talk about, not what you're interested in. Pillar number two. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. You don't have to use flowery language. You don't have to use fancy phrases. You don't have to sound spiritual. You don't have to use religious cliches. You just talk to God. And the only condition is that it's sincere. That it comes from your heart. That it's simple and authentic. Real. Honest. Even gutsy. You pray about what you feel like praying about, not what you think you ought to pray about. You don't get up and start addressing God, O oh, thou great potentate of the universe, thou whoest dost wonderfully bestow on us all manners of beseeched blessings. No. And you know, if, when somebody does that, you've got to believe God's going, huh? Why are you talking to me in 200-year-old English? I'm not from England. God is not from England. As much as the English probably would dispute that. You don't have to sound like Shakespeare when you pray. God understands all the languages. He understands lingo. He understands slang. He invented all of it. He knows all of it. So you just come to God and you say, hey God, it's me. It doesn't have to sound super spiritual. Say, 
you know, God, this is a really nice day. Thank you. Thank you for making this. I'll talk to you later. You don't have to have this run-on conversation that we all seem to think is the way prayer works. You can pick right up where you left off in just another minute. Keep talking to God later on. And you know what? When you don't feel good, God, I don't feel like talking to you right now. That's a prayer. God, I'm mad at you. That's a prayer. God, I don't get it. I prayed for this and it didn't happen. That's a prayer. All God wants you to do is to be honest. Pillar number three. God likes to show his grace by answering prayer. We sing the song about God being a good, good father. He's a gracious father. He's a compassionate and loving father. And God loves to answer prayer because he gets to show what he's really like. Everything in the universe comes from the generosity of God. No one is more generous than God. And when you pray and you ask for something in prayer, it gives God the opportunity to show you what he's really like. So God loves it when you ask. But I do know exactly what you're thinking right now, so let me ask you a question. Do you know of any parent in the entire world that gives a child everything that child asks for? Of course not. It would ruin the child. There are dozens and dozens of reasons why parents don't give children everything they ask for. And there are dozens and dozens of good reasons why God doesn't give you everything you ask for. People will say, well, God, you didn't answer me. And God says, yeah, I did. I said, no. <laughs> that was my answer. No. I didn't say I would answer it the way you wanted every time. I just said I would answer your prayer. See, I, I've always heard that there are three possible answers to prayer, and I actually kind of think there might be a fourth. So God can answer a prayer yes. can answer a prayer no. He can answer a prayer not yet. And I think sometimes he answers with, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Yeah, don't you think, I mean, I don't, that, that's not theologically based on anything other than my own opinion, but just st sort of stands to reason based on what I've heard some people pray for. You have got to be kidding me. That's what you're asking for? for? All right, pillar number four, God longs to be close to you. If you're away from somebody that you love for a very long time, generally speaking, you can't wait to talk to them. God can't wait for you to talk to him. Some of you who are parents could understand the, the unique pain of having a child that couldn't communicate with you. That's a real heartache. I mean, you can love that child deeply, but for whatever reason, maybe a physical reason, maybe a, a mental brain reason, maybe an emotional reason, they can't talk to you. It just breaks your heart. 
And there are others of you, you've been parents of a child who even though they physically can talk to you, they refuse to. They've shut you out of their lives at this point. And the ache in your heart is so great because you long to talk to them and you long to just listen to them. You sit and you wait and you hope that they'll call. And I have to believe that in some way that's the way God feels when we don't talk to him. When we go days or weeks or maybe even months and we haven't spent any time alone with God. You know, God, just you and me, a few minutes here and there, just check it in. Here's what's on my heart today. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I need. I love you. I don't understand this. You know, all of those are prayers. All of those are legitimate things to talk to God about. Whatever is on your heart, whether it's a doubt, a fear, a gripe you have, you're on a real high, you're on a real low. When we don't pray, God is like a parent asking, why won't you talk to me? I created you. I love you. I want a relationship with you. And your kid turns around and walks away. Don't do that to God. Don't do that to your father. The one who created you. God wants you to be close. He longs to be close to you. He longs for you to be close to him. I think one of the most amazing verses in the Bible is John 15, 15. Which that isn't. John 15, 15 is where Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Are you kidding me? God wants to be your friend? God wants you to be his friend. It's right there. Jesus said, I call you friends. The creator of the universe, the God who died on the cross, says, I want you to be my friend. I made you to be my friend. And our response should be, are you kidding me? Really? That's wonderful. And so your divine friend longs to be close to you. You were formed for a friendship with God. And if you miss that, then you're missing the purpose of your existence. You were not put on this planet to make money, to make money retire, and die. You were put on this planet to have a relationship with God that lasts for an eternity. Do not miss the purpose of your existence. Why are we doing this 40 days of prayer series? Well, I think that there is nothing more important than getting your life 
in harmony with God's life. And you having the relationship that you were created for. Job said in uh, the book of Job, he said, In the prime of my life, God was my best friend. Is God your best friend? There are a lot of people who know about God, but very few that truly know God. So a question gets asked, well, how do I get closer to God? Well, there's really two ways. First, you must desire it. Second, you make the time for it. The only way that you can get closer to God is to desire it and to make time for it. James 4.8 says that you have to desire it. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then Psalm 25.14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. That's making time for God. Friendship with God is reserved, the scripture tells us, for those who fear or reverence him. And if that's your heart posture, then you would naturally make time for him. And God shares secrets with you when you make time for him that he doesn't share with anybody else. That's friendship with God. And so the entire purpose of this next 40 days these, these next Sundays that we have in Lent, is to deepen that friendship that you have with God. You need to know him better. You need to know him closer. He's waiting. He's longing for you to get to know him. He's waiting for you to talk to him about anything that you're interested in. Nothing is off limits. So I'm going to pray now. Are you coming back up or is George is coming back up? All right. Well, I just want to pray this very simple prayer. Kind of to, just to end this, but to get us started into, uh, into our series. So, Father God, I just pray this simple prayer and, and this sincere prayer. I want all the people here to get to know you better. I want them to fall in love with you the way you love them. I want you I want them to know you the way Enoch and Noah and Job and Hezekiah all knew you. And I ask you to take these words and to touch their hearts. And do so in Jesus' name.